0: Storymakers, I'm Angie Powers, I'm Elizabeth Stark, and, and this, this is Storymakers, Storymakers Show. Show, and today on Storymakers, what's An- going on? Angie loved a book. Angie loved a book. But first, what are you working on? Well, I'm still doing some work for some great organizations, and um, I am thinking a lot about what I'd like to do. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. How about you?
1: Um, Well, I just finished teaching four days, four and a half days of Sonoma County Writers Camp, a virtual edition, Mm -hmm. and it was friggin' great. Like, it was sort of amazing. I mean, it was... What was one thing you didn't expect that ended up being kind of awesome? Well, I mean, one thing, I don't know if I didn't expect it, but but it, it took form in reality in a way that was really vivid, which was we just got to pick the panels like completely from a wide open palette. Like you didn't have to be able to drive to Occidental, which meant we just had a really interesting juxtaposition of people. I mean, we had one Bay Area person and one person from Hawaii and one person who lives in Montana, but was in Miami. And so that meant that they were, I mean, I don't know as it, anyway, how it played out was they were very different writers, very different stylists. They kind of overlapped in really interesting ways and then diverged in really interesting ways. And um, it was cool. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I know. I'm always looking
0: for the thing that this challenge uh, offers is a new opportunity. So it sounds like, you know, one of the things is, you know, I know you invite people up to Occidental Arts and Ecology, gorgeous place, beautiful, but it does really limit the number of people who can take the time to come and be part of that. Activity So this way you were able to kind of really extend that. I'll be curious to see how how it might play out in future camps.
1: Yeah well we're gonna do it again. We're gonna do another virtual camp at the end of February. I know but
0: I'm just actually imagining because you have that there's that big meeting room Mm -hmm. and set up correctly (laughs) it might be a really dynamic hybrid Uh, situation where you could get the best of both worlds some folks real-time some folks (laughs) distanced.
1: I don't know Yeah, it kind of breaks my brain
0: a little bit, but um You don't have to know how to do it. You just have to think like was that something I could imagine being interesting. The, The
1: other thing that I'll say that I know from teaching the same class in person not now right now, but you know in the past and online that the chat function on zoom is a tremendous asset Mm -hmm. and the way that my brain in particular works is that I um I can sort of be reading something thinking about my response to it typing in my response and then moving on to the next thing and so at the end of one of the sessions I did like a laser edit and like and one of my students Maureen was like this is what like this is the why we pay the big money for craft class or something she was just (laughs) like this is Elizabeth's laser edits because I just it's one of the things I can do is that kind of multitasking, many voices, I, I, like I love it. I have this very particular short-term memory for words, language, phrases, and actually I played a video at camp of Gil Dennis. I'll put a link to it. Uh, Gil Dennis talking about Johnny Cash and talking about these, you know, s- some questions that he asks about your greatest moment of grief, mm-hmm. shame, mm-hmm. joy, and how he uses that to explore character. And so I told them, how Gil Dennis used to teach a community of writers. Right. This early morning class, and I was realizing, like, I don't know what time it actually was. It might it was have been like, like 10. A, yeah, probably. <laughs> I was like, it's, it seemed early, but I didn't have kids. Um, did he only do that with the fiction group? Because I feel like, I guess I went twice. And I think he, only, I think he did only do it with fiction, but I don't yeah. know. He was so nice. He was just he was such amazing. A nice, person who i felt you know was like rooting for me anyway um he but so one of the things was that in that class everybody writes down what everybody else is saying and i could write it down almost verbatim Mm -hmm. which because i could listen to what they were saying and write down what they had just said at the same time like i guess i could have been a court reporter or something very non-glamorous but not that it's not you don't know that it's not glamorous my aunt was actually a court reporter but in any case, all I'm saying is that's one of my very few skills in life, and it functions well on the chat in Zoom.
0: I'd like to argue that you have more than a few skills but, Well, in life. I
1: appreciate that, and it's good for you to hold that position. So the with, other that, I with say, that, hold on. I, okay, you wrap up, I'm but we do done. need to get no, you. I just want to say one more thing about what I've been working on because I'm very excited about this. I was actually going to move us on to... What have you been working on? <laughs> well, I mean, finished. I just taught for four and a half days. So that was a big thing till yesterday. Mm-hmm. So today, which is now Monday, but this will be going out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like asynchronous time. Anyway. You've been pandemicking too much. Oh, so today I, I um, got on your treadmill at your standing desk And I dictated like 600 words from my character, you know, into a Word doc, while spending about 40 minutes kind of walking very fast Mm -hmm. slash running on the treadmill. Mostly walking, but a little bit of running. And just filled me with incredible joy (laughs) to multitask exercise and writing. And to feel like I could, you know, if I did it for an hour a day, it's simultaneous, so it's one actual hour. Yes. And I'm doing, like, two of the most important things that um, are important and have to actually happen daily but don't kind of rise up as urgent on your to-do list. Right, on the day-to-day thing. But they are urgent in the sense mm-hmm. that if you don't do it today, you didn't do it that day.
0: And actually, I think what is interesting, uh, one of the things that I'm sort of noticing, I, so just because you brought up the dictation piece is one of the things is I'm sort of struggling with when I sit down to write, I now I'm noticing there is this very intense, you know, pushback from my brain when I am typing. And if I can go in and dictate a draft of something, then I'm like, okay, great. This is clearly not what I want to say, but I can work from what I meant to say, right? So that I get this like really fast draft
1: down. I wonder if typing is this very particular weird little blip, like of technology, like a, you know? I don't
0: know. It's very interesting, right? Because iPad is moving back to being able to handwrite into any text box, you know, yeah. there's a whole Scribble app. But I guess what I'm trying to say, actually, is I think it's interesting to think about the, the fung, the actions, and how we use those actions. And I wish, actually, that the dictation I was using, which I'm just using the built-in language uh, for Mac, I wish it was better, right? And I know that, like, dragon dictation uh, just is press one that you can train. Just
1: press Oh, yeah.
0: Um, I haven't tried just press
1: record, but, I just but that's, was like, a using whole the, different I thing. I was just using the dictation that's, like, right there in Word. I mean, I'm not even, like, a big... No, that's example. Apple. Yeah. Is it? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is that one isn't to me. It's, you know, again, I'm doing some, you know, what's the word industry specific uh, work. So some of the words I totally understand why they're making that particular choice. But some of them you're like, wait a minute. How did you get fish out of like hairstyle? Right. Like you just how did you get there? So I do know that there are better programs cuz they learn over time and what you do is you go in and you like record something and then you edit what it is you said versus they what learn. they type right, right. So it starts and what I what I do voice.
1: love about Just Press Record is that it, it it both records your voice you know on audio mm-hmm. re- record recording of it and it transcribes it and so then if you're like cuz cuz I've done so much on Evernote where I'm dictating and it's filling it in but then it's like it just gets is wacky just garbage and then I go back and I have no way to test it against what I was actually saying right and so well that's nice I think what I was trying
0: to do in, in the process today was I would say some of it and then I would go back and I'd hand edit it and kind of re-get my thinking mm-hmm. yeah clarified and so I, I really need that visual feedback piece not because I if I talk for like 10 minutes and then I go back no good. Right. I needed to be able to talk for a little bit, do some editing. So it's that kind of It is simultaneous. In the, in the,
1: the Does apps. it let you
0: do that? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're both, well, I mean, you're talk- but you're on, the, on your phone or
1: your iPad. You're on right? whatever your device is. Do they have it for Mac? Uh, I don't know. Okay. It's an app. I mean, wouldn't you be able to? I think so. No, well, I mean, money, the like operating
0: system for your iPad and your iPhone actually have recently diverged. So now we have iOS, iPad OS, and now Mac OS.
1: So they're all different operating like, systems. I just, we're at such a, a, a baby stage of all this stuff. I like the idea that typing might, it's like, first it was like we were all trying to learn how to type, and then it was like everybody knew how to type just because you're typing all the time, which is like our kids' generation. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's gonna be like nobody needs to type because it's guessing what you're gonna say, then you can just dictate. And then you can handwrite and it'll turn into printing. And then we won't need
0: people anymore.
1: That I disagree. With. <laughs> but let's talk about our topic today because Angie loved a book, which why is that a topic for Storymaker's show? Well, you don't you don't fall in love easily. I don't. Not with books. And um, <laughs> I'm not gonna read too much into that. <laughs> and uh, and you teach. Story development, which mm-hmm. comes, you know, from or out of a conversations with kind of screenplay stuff mm-hmm. and even Hollywood, and so there's a way in which I think people might erroneously, like, radically erroneously think that you sort of like very traditional, structure, traditionally structured, right, right. traditional things, like, oh, you know, here's a rom com or here, you know, think you can see, oh, this fits what Angie teaches about story structure most obviously right but in fact you really like quirk
0: i do it was actually fun our book new year group recently was sort of talking about books we loved and i mentioned the hearing trumpet and um by lenore carrington which i have not read since i found it in my recent reorg of our books yeah but that's one i don't want to let go of i should go back and read it but i do i do like weird
1: it's true yeah
0: And I'm not sure why. All right. So tell
1: us the title and author of the book you fell in love with.
0: Well, the book I fell in love with this week was um, Nothing to See Here. By Kevin Wilson. By Kevin Wilson. And, you know, I listened to it. So I also want to be really clear about that, that, that I do think... The performance of an audiobook can make or break your ability to engage with it in yeah. a very intense way. That's true. There are some people who are amazing.
1: Yes. And. Um,
0: okay, you know, we just,
1: I'm sorry, we've probably said this a million times, but I just, we have to mention. Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing, Beverly Cleary's the whole Ramona series. Like, no matter who you are or what age you are, really, you mm-hmm. should listen to Stalker Channing. Reading the Ramona, the past series. Yeah, she's kind of amazing.
0: Well, I, I am remiss for not remembering the name of the narrator for this audiobook. But you can look it up. But, yeah, we can look it up. Anyway. We'll put it in the... And I want to thank Sonoma County Library for providing access to this mm-hmm. book because I did listen to the library. Here's a plug for libraries. If you have a library, remember to support them because they're supporting your community. Yes. Okay. With that... Um, so, and, you know, like our library just made a connection with Tutor.com to help families get access to additional tutoring outside of their school right, stuff. Right. So look at your uh, library, and if you're not someone who can support it, there may be uh, resources as well.
1: Well, if, yeah. If they, for if whether they support or not you. I mean, yeah. you can get, you can rent videos and, and books and, you know, audio Movies, books We have and, a canopy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. amazing.
1: Yay, public library! Yay, public. This is like what good government is all about. Yes. But anyway. So, uh, with
0: that, I. How old is this book? I don't even know. It's
1: kind of recent. Yeah, it's in the last year or two. Yeah. So Probably I, you is. know,
0: again, you're like, I want to couch my conversation, and you know, like, eh, I don't want to give everything away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think the narrator, like I said, did a tremendous job. I loved that it had, and I think I can say this because it's like... Well,
1: there's the, the premise is sort of yeah. about these two kids who...
0: So the premise is that there is, uh, well, interestingly enough, there's two friends, right? And so then we also get these two kids later. So we have this sort of multi-generational thing happening. But in that very natural way, so not like quite magical realism, but just in that natural, like, you get one lie, one great lie in your book... These kids catch on fire.
1: Now hold on. Let's just not skim by. You get one lie in your book because somebody's listening and going, "What is she talking about?" You get one lie in your book. So can you elucidate that point?
0: Well, basically, when you're when if you're writing something, and especially like this book is a great example. If you're writing something like this, which is nearly realistic. realistic. Uh, you can't keep piling on weirdnesses. Like, you have to kind of establish kind of early on but what the rules of your game are. It
1: starts to feel like there are no rules. they yes. suddenly you're like, okay, he, they got to a wall they couldn't get over, but they walked through it. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, that's not fair to the reader to not know what the rules are and not right. be able to try to guess what's going on because you can just walk through it. And, you know,
0: I mean, I, which is not to say like something like Harry Potter where you learn new skills or different people have different abilities and, you know, whatever. Um... All of those things can sort of happen. But in this particular book, which was nearly real, the main point was that there Not were these... Not
1: neorealism, but near realism. That these
0: two kids caught on fire. That's it's and it's and they, they spontaneously do, combust without dying. They spontaneously combust, and what's unique about their spontaneous combustion is that they suffer no ill effect from it. Now, they can set your house on fire. They can set your toilet paper on fire but they themselves are not damaged by the, f- the flame and so that's unique in that
1: context um so i just i loved that i love i was oh, just to, just to just to hammer this thing so there's this principle that you can have one sort of wackadoodle thing in a near realistic book without kind of d- disorienting your reader too severely
0: yeah, and and I think that this author did a tremendous job of having the emotions there on the page, and we talk about like the show or not tell and that sort of thing. And the truth is, like, um, the truth is that um, you have these this narrator sort of talking about her feelings, right? And so she has these moments where she's. Um, you know, mad at one particular character, but the truth is she's also in love with this other character. So how does she do that? And she doesn't actually talk about being in love with this other character until well into the book. So depending on who you are as a reader, I as a reader was like, okay, I recognize it's happening here, but other people might not in the same way. And so she's in love with this person. And so she keeps doing these things. And you're like, why? Like, okay, whatever. But you sort of believe her because when she looks at this person, this person is so beautiful to her. And I recognize that feeling, right? There's no real good reason. Like, if you were to put down on a sheet of paper why I'm in love with someone, like, that's not a logical, you know, syllogism. You know, your hair is... If this and then this. This, you know, therefore I love you. Like, that's just not how... Love works, and so you buy this character's bad choices with regard to this other person. You worry a lot about her relationship with this other person. And because you can see, so he's he's deftly shown you that this other person isn't always like awesome to this character, and so you see this whole dynamic happening and I just, I was, I don't like, like, sit around and have our feelings kind of books. And the other piece was that this narrator just sort of took the flaming children in stride. Like, the weirdness of her life. She just was, like, sort of like, well, I've got nothing else going on. And if you had someone who had something else going on, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe that this person would put aside a job and a, and a relationship and all these right, other things right, right. to go do this, but this person is just getting high in her mom's <laughs> attic and she's having like a nowhere life, so.
1: Do you think that it's like the, really the specific characters and the specific quirkiness of the book that made you love it? Do you think there's like, you know, if somebody was like setting out to write a book that you would love, do you think there's a formula <laughs> or a set of criteria or do you think it's just it's that like magic mix of like this particular actual story you know the content of the story Well I think
0: Okay so here we go What does Lenore Carrington and Kevin Wilson, Wilson, Wilson do what what, 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 do what do they have in, in common those two they books
1: have. They have narrators who sort of accept the terms of their world what is the quirk in, in the hearing trumpet, which you know? Full, there are many. Full confession: I've never read, though you love it madly.
0: There are many, right? I, just, so, I want to
1: side note: it's sometimes hard to read books other people are in love with. I just also
0: want to call out right now to Mills College because that's where I was introduced to it. Ruth Saxton, who has a book. Who just came out right now? Um, What's her book called? We'll put it in the we'll put show, it in notes, the show it's like, notes. It's
1: kind of called like "Old Lady
0: Lit" or something. Basically, that's what we sort we of referred to, to the class we took with her. But it's looking at women oh, coming to age. That was her phrase. To come
1: on the podcast, I know
0: coming to age uh, rather than coming um, of age. Coming to age. Yeah. So she has this. I don't know if that's her title. I don't remember that. No, no, she no, used no, that called, phrase. It's
1: more called something like old lady lit or, yeah, yeah. or something. So anyway, so that's or, where
0: I so I just want to say education has benefits. That's one of them. I was introduced to a book I loved. And also a shout out to Jennifer Soloway, who's now an amazing agent, but at the time also did an entire like Diagram of Memento Mori, which was a different book we read, mm-hmm. and had, like, great insights into into hearing trumpet. And it was really fun to have, like, that level of reader, someone who was going to just be an amazing reader. What did she create? Uh, a chart? Well, for Memento Mori, she did a whole, like, sort of flow chart to try and figure out this story, right, because it's kind of set up as a mystery. I also loved that book. But... um Muriel Spark, for those of you who don't know. But anyway, so the thing that I loved about these two books was just that we had a narrator who took the world on its own terms, didn't try to make it different in these certain ways. Didn't it's interesting
1: to think of it as taking the world on its own terms as opposed mm-hmm. to like creating a particularly quirky world. Like, right. Like taking the world on its own terms, kids burst into flame. Is that but the narrator takes it on. The ah, so, so the show. author creates this quirky world, and the narrator is like, "Yep, kids burst into flames.
0: Right, and in Hearing Trumpet, she gets taken to this like old age home that's just bizarre, right? And as you know there's fairy tale buildings, and you know, so it's like very surreal, and she just kind of goes into it. Um, she the narrator. The narrator who is a
1: character. Hmm.
0: And, you know, her opening is sort of like thinking about her own beard as being sort of charming. She's hit an age where she's gone past all of the vanities. (laughs) So I think that that's the number one thing. It's sort of like, here's this world where children burst into flames. All right. And then she just calls them the fire children, right? And it's like, okay. I mean, they have their names and she refers to them as their names, but she's... Just like, okay, these are these fire children, right? And she's trying to solve the problem within
1: the context, you know. Do you think, and I've read the book as well, but um, do you think that that there's something about children bursting into flame that has a larger resonance with the issues of raising children?
0: Well, I think, I'm sure. But I also think the thing that I was sort of struck by was just this, you know, the metaphor of the flame, right? So the metaphor of bursting into flame wasn't hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this world was so amazing. It's not
1: really a metaphor.
0: It's a total metaphor. For what? Like when they, well, it starts, uh, well, it's a metaphor for love.
1: Bursting it, into flame.
0: Yeah, so at the beginning, they burst into flame because they're hurting. Because they're upset and they, they, that they, they, they're, you think, how far are we going to go with giving away revelations right now? Spoiler alert. One, don't keep listening if you're going to
1: list, watch, like read the book. And it's going to bother you. To and know it's something. going to bother you to know. Okay. That's why it's been out a while. All right. So,
0: basically, when the kids are initially abandoned by their also, father...
1: Also, if you can remember what day of the week it is, then you might hold on to the concern that this will stay with you for a long time. And if not, you might not worry about it. Right. So bursting into flames is a metaphor
0: for love. In the beginning, you think it's because their father's abandoned them that they've done all these things. Then you learn that their mother has died. Right. And so they have, you know, it's like, Oh, and then you think, Oh, they get, they burst into flames when they're upset. They burst into flames when they're upset. But then you learn that their mother committed suicide. And then you learn that Bessie, one of the fire children, one of the fire children, um, remembers her mother telling her to take the pills that her mother took to kill herself, right? And so she prevents her brother from doing it. So they don't die, but their mother tried to kill them. And she has this moment where she's got her hand on her mom's chest. And she's like, and I know, and I knew it was okay because her heart was still beating. And then later there's this moment where she's like, and I knew that she was dead. And they went outside and burst into flames. Mm. And so this metaphor is about love in this really intense way because later when uh, our narrator has sort of taken those kids on their own terms, right? She doesn't lie to them. Like, you know... At one point Bessie asks her, are you a good person? And she's like, not really. You know, it's like, okay. (laughs) She's like present with these kids in this really intense way and they build this relationship and she eventually comes to a place where she isn't sure that she could take care of them but she wants them, right? And then there's this one magical night where Bessie shows her that it isn't just when she gets upset, and that she's able to create flame by focusing on it. Mm -hmm. She's able to do it, and she moves it down her arms into her hands. And he literally says, you know, and it looks like something, something, and it looks like love. Mm. So this fire that Mm -hmm. we mistake for anger, for rage, for hurt,
1: is love. Mm.
0: Right? So so, it's,
1: it's almost like the, the anger is also grief. It's like yeah. the other side of love. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say, because I'm listening to Tana French's The Searcher and also reading it some, I have it in both formats. Mm-hmm. And um, the character, he keeps, he keeps um, trying, he always does what he thinks is the right thing to do. Um, and it, doesn't always work, like he doesn't always, like people don't, aren't always happy with him for it, and he's kind of like lost his, his wife left him, and he's moved himself to Ireland so that he mm-hmm. could be in a ton of French novel and, <laughs> from Chicago, <laughs> and anyway, but there's something about this, I don't know, just this thing of like wanting to be one way, and, and um, I think it was when you talked about how she, he's, you know, are you a good person, and she's like, not really, like he's just, you just are, like, in there with him, and he's just trying to figure out, like, why is it that when he does things the way he thinks is the right thing to do, yet, like, it alienates people, or, it you know, mm-hmm. he's sort of struggling, and there's just that. But it's, like, it's right up against his, his very real response. You know, yeah. he's very real in this way.
0: Well, I, I think there's something, and again, I'm going to go back to Meg and her idea of your, uh, what was it, the personal thematic Mm -hmm. I think my personal thematic is always wrestling with a sense of I don't know if I'm gonna need to bleep this later but like my own fuck up and this right my own fuck up you have to mark it though you can't just say this is clean Mm -hmm. you gotta mark it as explicit but anyway and and I think in this book this narrator is really dealing with that right she's really trying to figure out like she her whole thing is always about how she makes mistakes so she messes up messes up messes up And I think the personal thematic for me is that um, there's value in love, whether or not like you're the successful person you think you should be. And she's able to sort of take her own mother uh, on her mother's terms, having loved someone else having loved these children. Mm. So she's been hurt by her mother. She's been betrayed by her mother. So every good reason to not be like, oh, you're fantastic. Um, But she can still have compassion for her mother um, without denying that her mother is someone who will sell her out. Right? And she can apply that to herself.
1: In terms of having compassion for herself? Yeah. And so do you think part of what you loved was the arc of this book? Like the redemptive... I really did. I really did. It's not just like redemptive, right? But
0: it's it's sort of about, you know, if you were to... And again, I listened to it. So someone may be like, that never happened. Mm -hmm. But the way I experienced the book was that at the beginning, she was a person who was really striving and was wanting to prove that she was worth being somewhere else. She gets somewhere else she makes a decision for someone she loves and that just kind of shatters her life. So then when she's put back into this situation, her life's been shattered, she's been shattered, she's perceiving herself only as someone who fails. Mm. And so um, that's a big part. And so rather than being like, the story arc is that she's someone who always fails, so we talk about that limiting belief, She has a limiting belief. She's someone who always messes up. She's someone who always makes mistakes. And at the end, she still makes mistakes. So her change isn't that she doesn't make mistakes. Her limiting belief about what making mistakes means
1: is what changes. Yeah. Right on! All right, it is time for <laughs> steal this. Yeah. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings, myriad wanderings and readings that you would have like long to take, wanderings to, these days take and make your own? I actually have one. I, I, I'm gonna do this. This
0: is what I want to steal. So Martin Seligman for uh, a while ago, our friend Joyce suggested that I read the book, Authentic Happiness. And that was like a while ago. But one of the things that was true is sort of looking at how how do the actions that we take in a day-to-day moment reinforce our feelings? And there's one activity that I remember from that book that is sort of like cognitive therapy for when you're feeling low and Right now, yes, I am on a I am on a search for fun. We've talked about that. But one of the exercises he suggests and you know, you do it for whatever period of time you can remember to do it is to look at you know, you do your gratitude, yes, you do your uh, what went well today. But the key piece is what did I do to help make that happen? For the things that went well in my life, what was it that I did? Mm. To make that happen, so I think that's actually what I want to steal. Is I love that this exercise where you're taking some responsibility for the good things that are happening
1: in your life. So I I did this exercise that Josh Spector, who has a newsletter, um, what, that he called for the interested uh he suggested it i believe um he may have linked to it he does a lot of linking but i think he, this was his and it was to write um and i talked about it at some point in my newsletter but it, it was to write um it was great and then just write like five things it was great it was great this it was great this so i do this like well, what is great this tell give me an so example like lines. it was great to do sonoma county's writers camp you know it was great to see people mm-hmm. that i don't get to see all the time that i love it was great to um clean the cabina in our backyard that's what we call it it's like a wrong term um and and hang out there right so like just things like that it was great it was great it was great you do five Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. great then you do five it is great and so those tend to be like it is great you know the kind of things that are ongoing Mm -hmm. or like it's great that i have this house it's great that i have this family it's great you know what i mean like right that's a gratitude It is a kind of a gratitude one that it is. And then you do it will be great, Mm -hmm. which is kind of this very, like, forceful projection. Noon and one
0: second on January 20th, it will be great.
1: (laughs) Well, and there were times before the election when I was like, it will be great. Like, it will be great to have a new president Mm -hmm. like it will be great to have a president-elect like I so you know yeah it's kind of interesting so is there a next piece to that or is it so okay so you were talking about the exercise Mm -hmm. say yours again
0: well his exercise is sort of like what went well today and what was my part in that.
1: so I actually want to steal that too and, and and in my it was great I want to look at like what did I do to help that along Mm-hmm. What do I do to contribute to that? What can I do to build that? So I'm well, kind of what stealing can what you do. To,
0: it's not what, what it I can do. It's looking back at what went well and taking responsibility for the positive things in your life. Because I think we all sort of take responsibility for the crap. But very rarely do we say, you know what? Oh, my gosh. Like, yes, I feel so grateful for this. And my intention, my work, my contribution was part of what made this life. I love it!